persecuting force of the people of God. And as we look at it at the time it's written, we noted that at this time the Jews had been a very strong persecuting force against the people of God. And then right up in the 60s AD, Nero became a persecuting force. And then as we're going to see as we get into the chapters tonight, uh, something that parallels the history that we have concerning Jerusalem and concerning Rome and concerning the church. Through here we've had a force that is a persecuting force against the church. It's been referred to as a group of people that are of the synagogue of Satan, but yet say they are Jews, Revelation 2, 9, and Revelation 3, 9. Uh, the city where the persecution is, is going to culminate is in Revelation, the 11th chapter, we noted the city where our Lord was crucified, and that in this book is being spiritually called by such names as Sodom and Gomorrah, but really he's talking about the Lord that was cruci crucified. Now a very interesting thing happens as we move on in, into the discussion tonight, and that is the beast that has been used by the Jews to persecute the Christians, and of course the Jews have persecuted, we have a situation where the beast then turns on the persecutors of the Christians. And we know that this parallel is what actually happens, that Rome and Israel go to war in about 67 AD, uh, the war is three and a half years, and Rome defeats Israel, and the culmination of that defeat is the downfall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, and really the entire destruction of the Jewish system at that time. And then out of this, Christianity will go forth and spread throughout the entire world without the opposition of the persecuting forces. Now, not to say there will not be future persecution, but at least the persecution that is taking place at this time, in fact, I don't know that in all history you could point to anything that was as severe as what the Christians were experiencing with both Nero and the Jews trying to stamp them out. Let's get into the 16th chapter where we left off, and notice he makes a statement in verse 15 that he would come like a thief. Uh, blessed is he who saves the way and keeps his clothes, so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. And we noted that uh, in that time that uh, the temple had guards, and if somebody was caught sleeping while on guard duty, uh, he was stripped of his clothes and sent out naked before the people, and they would all know that he went to sleep on guard duty. We know that this is one of the verses of the internal evidences for this material having been written before the downfall of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, in saying that he would come like a thief, we uh, looked at the passages over in 1 Thessalonians 5, and we noted that although we quote, quote this quite frequently, that this end or judgment that people depict pertaining or using it to apply to the end of the world, say that he will come like a thief and therefore nobody knows today. But we find out when we read the context that that passage is in, we find that he comes as a thief to the unbelieving. Uh, they didn't believe the signs. Jesus actually gave the signs of his coming in judgment on Israel and the Jewish nation. And to the believers in 1 Thessalonians 5, we learned that it would be as a thief in the night to the unbeliever. But the Christian was, was not in darkness, that he was in light, that he had been given the signs of this, and therefore could escape this if he was aware. And so it is here. He says, I come like a thief, but blessed is he who stays away. 
And so they were gone, and the believers would be very alert. And when the Roman army began to encompass Jerusalem, they would remember all the Lord had said. They would have seen the culmination of all of those signs, and they would escape the city. And of course, the secular records bear witness, along with the teaching of Jesus, that they did escape the city. Now, in verse 16, it says they gathered the kings together in a place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now, this is used in various ways. Uh, it's preached in various ways today. And it's used to speak of some future battle that's going to take place. Uh, generally today, when it's interpreted, it's some future battle to take place over in the Mideast. And there's even articles in secular magazines dealing with it because uh, much of Protestant Christianity believes so strongly in this. Uh, I'd like for you to look at the overlay. This is uh, a copy, and where the dots are is the sections that I left out. You can go back and check them on your own. But from Wallace's book, page at the bottom, it didn't quite get out there, 334 through 335. He points out the name Armageddon was derived from Mount Medigal, which was located in a valley now known as the plain of Israel. It was the battlefield of nations in Jewish history. Now, in the Old Testament, there are numerous examples, going back even to Deborah, of battles that took place in this particular battle. And so it had a history of being a place of war where many, many battles had been fought. It says the battlefield of Mount Medigo became a universal proverb under the word Armageddon, the original Bible dictionary of Philip Schaff. Now he, he's quoting from Philip Schaff. And again, Philip Schaff, for those of you that are not familiar with him, is probably one of the most outstanding biblical scholars of the past several generations. Uh, he is, along with a man by the name of Herzog, author of Schaff Herzog Biblical Encyclopedias, which is a very large set of encyclopedias. He also authored the eight-volume set, The History of the Christian Church, which is considered, uh, let's see, can you see that? Now, I think the bottom part will be okay. We'll just leave the light on The, uh, the eight-volume set on the history of the Christian church, which is considered the standard. And what I mean by that, there are a lot of short volumes, and if you will read the appendixes of the short volume, you'll see that they get a lot of the material from Philip Schaff. But it's, in my judgment, uh, at least of all that I've come in contact with, the most detailed history on that. And so Schaff, remember that we gave as we began to study Revelation that stated that when he came out with his second edition of the book, there were two changes that he made over the first edition. And the second one he mentioned had to do with the dating in Revelation. He said that in his first set of encyclopedia, the first set of volume on the history of the Christian church, that he had put the dating of the book about 95 or 96 A.D. But he had been persuaded by evidence since that time that it was actually written before 70 AD in his judgment about 68 AD. And thus you find it that way in the latest volume of his history of the Christian church. Now, notice the statement there. Bible dictionary Philip Schaff states that it was a name used figuratively and Revelation 16.16 suggested the great battlefield noted in the Old Testament and now known as the plain of Esdraelon. Now, We've noted all through Revelation, that in fact all through the Bible, that many words that come to be used figuratively, uh, they initially had an origin of truth that led to that figure. 
So then, after that destruction, God used Sodom and Gomorrah figuratively a number of times applied to his own people. And in Revelation 11, we noted how he used it figuratively applied to his people. Babylon was a real city that God dealt with and destroyed. But then after the destruction of it, God has used it. And in the book of Revelation, we're going to see in the 18th, 17th, 18th, 19th chapter, that Babylon is used in a figurative sense to depict this force that God was dealing with and going to destroy. We noted that Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnon outside of Jerusalem, was a real place that was destroyed in the days of Josiah. And then over a period of time, it came to be used in a figurative sense to depict the abode of those who die separated from the Lord. And thus we read that people go into a part of Hades depicted by, in figurative language by the term Gehenna or translated as hell in most of the translations. And so it is here that this is a place, this Armageddon, that in the Old Testament a number of battles were held there. Well then as God gets ready to depict this great battle that's going to take place in Revelation, then he uses this place. And so those people, when they read it at that time, they had no problem identifying with it. That this is a place where all those great battles had taken place over the years. Now let's come on down after verse, uh, verse 16, verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bow in the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne, saying, It is done. And there came flashes of lightning, and rumbles, and peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on the earth. Uh, so tremendous the quake. Notice now, the great cities split in three parts. And the cities of the nations collapsed. And God remembered Babylon the Great, and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. And remember, we know we're not talking about literal Babylon here, and we pointed that away. How do we know that? Already been destroyed. Just like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's being used like Sodom and Gomorrah in a figurative sense of the people that God is passing judgment on. But notice the statement there. The cities split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed, and then God, God remembered. What would you place here? And I want to go back and show you the similarity of the kind of language used here with the language that is used in the Old Testament back when God dealt with Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Turn to Ezekiel, the fifth chapter. Back over in the Old Testament, Ezekiel, the fifth chapter.
And so notice now the city divided in three parts, thirds. I will pursue them with drawn sword, but take a few strands of hair and tuck them away in the folds of your garment. Again, take a few of these and throw them into the fire and burn them up. A fire will spread from there to the whole house of Israel. This is what the sovereign Lord says. This is Jerusalem, which I have set in the center of the nations, with countries all around her. Yet in her wickedness, she has rebelled against my laws and decrees more than the nations and countries around her. She has rejected my laws, has followed, not followed my decrees. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You've been more unruly than the nations around you and have not followed my decrees or kept my laws. You've not even conformed to the standards of the nations around you. Therefore, I myself am against you, Jerusalem. I will inflict punishment on you in the sight of the nations. Because of all your detestable idols, I will do to you what I have never done before and will never do again. Therefore, in your midst, fathers will eat their children. Children will eat their fathers. I will inflict punishment on you and will scatter all your survivors to the wind. Therefore, surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because you have defiled my sanctuary with all your vile images and detestable practices, I myself will withdraw my favor. I will not look on you with pity or spare you. Now again, back to this third. A third of your people will die with the plague or perish with the famine. A third will fall by the sword and inside, inside, outside the walls. And a third I will scatter to the winds. And so he speaks of dividing the city in a third. And here you have the same thing. In verse 19, the great city was split in three parts. And the cities of the nations collapsed. And God remembered Babylon. And so you have it divided in three parts. And every time, I believe, in the Old Testament, when you read of the destruction of a city, you're going to read of those three things. First, there will be the, the plagues, and then the pestilence, and then the sword, and the people that will be scattered as a result of it. And we noted the reason for using it in this term is in those days when you conquered a city or besieged it, the first thing that happened is people began to starve. And when they starved, they were malnourished, and they couldn't fight off diseases, so they had the pestilences. And then, as a result of that, they become weakened, and the force comes in, and many of them are killed with the sword. That's two things. And then the second, the third thing that happens is that a lot of them are just simply scattered, and they become a hiss and a byword, some of them carried into captivity. Now, this was literally happened to the city of Jerusalem. There would be those that would die of various diseases. There would be the Romans that would come in and kill. And then there would be those that would be captured and made slaves and some of them scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Babylon the Great, and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones of about 100 pounds each fell upon men. And they cursed God on account of the plague of the hell, because the plague was so terrible. Keep in mind, John, this is just what John is seeing uh, in his visions. And remember that again in the Old Testament, that using the elements, uh, if you want to, in fact, put yourself in the writer's place, how better way to depict the wrath of God? God displays himself through hell and through lightning and through darkness and through all the things of nature. And how better to display the wrath of God than through these 
these acts of nature itself. And so in using the term, uh, he is deriving the, the fact that, that this is being done by God. And God is bringing it all about. They cursed God as a result of what was happening. We noted last week that, that it's interesting that uh, when calamity comes on people, uh, you generally have got two ways that you're going to respond. One is you might repent and examine yourself. And another is you get worse and you actually turn and you, and you curse God as a result of it, or whoever it may be. And so here that Josephus records that when things got their worst, that the Jews actually, there were few that wanted to go ahead and, and to surrender, and then the zealots on the inside actually put those to death who wanted to surrender, and they were full of even more anger as a result of what was happening. One of the seven angels, who had the seven bows, chapter 17, came and said to me, Come, and I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her, by the way, this sitting on many waters does not, again, necessarily mean the literal sitting on waters. In Jeremiah 5, verse 13, when God was going to deal with Babylon, he used that same phrase of sitting on many waters. But Babylon doesn't sit on many waters. In fact, it has one river, the river the Euphrates, that goes down close to it. But yet that phrase is used in, in that way. The punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters, with her the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. And keep in mind, we've already noted, to commit adultery, you have to be married. And Israel is married to God, and over and over in the Old Testament and also in the New, when God's people leave Him and pursue other philosophies, they're referred to as adulterers. Uh, James uses this of Christians who get entangled in the world by saying, you adulterers and adulteresses know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And so the force here now that is going to be dealt with is this force that has committed adultery. So no, notice now, the attention has now turned to the persecuting force of the Christians. Now we're going to see where the beast turns on the woman who's been guilty of adultery and who has been persecuting the Christians. The angel carried me away in the spirit to, to a desert. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. So you got a woman that's been using this beast now. That was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, was glittering gold, precious stones and pearls. And she held a golden cup in her hand, filled with the abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The title was written on her forehead. Mystery, Babylon the Great, Mother of Prostitutes, the Abominations of the Earth. I saw that the woman, notice now, was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. So who is this woman? She's one that has been married to God, therefore she's been guilty of adultery, leaving God, but she's also one who is literally drunk with the blood of the saints. Uh, remember Matthew 23, uh, beginning with verse 29, on down to the 24th chapter that we read last week, when Jesus spoke and said that uh, all of the righteous blood from Abel to Zechariah would be required of that generation. And he spoke of all the prophets he had killed. He also knew that they were going to kill him. They were going to kill the apostles. And then he said that all of this would be brought on this generation. And so he spoke it up here. In fact, again, remember in Thessalonians, 
uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, 3, that we have the situation there where Paul identifies the Jews as the persecuting force of the Christians who actually uh, traveled and pursued the apostles and tried to keep them from speaking to the Gentiles and spoke of God's wrath that would come on them and that they would judge that wrath. So I saw the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony of Jesus. And when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. And the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman. And of the beast she rides, which has seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, and now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go under destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life and reason of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because he once was, now he's not, and yet will come. And so the beast now is going to turn on the woman. But we're also going to see, as he points out here, God's going to deal with the beast. And, and the beast is not going to be the persecuting force against God's people. He's going to deal with the beast too. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills of which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is. The other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain a little while. Okay. When he says that there are seven kings, five have fallen, and one is. If we go back to Julius Caesar, the first of the Caesars, we go through five Caesars, and then we get Nero, the sixth one. And that's the one that's on the throne now. Now, next week, remember uh, sometime back when we studied Daniel, we put up Daniel's prophecy and showed the various kings their time and all. And next week, I wanted to get this in in one quick thing. This through the 19th and tie it all together. Next week, we'll back up with the overlay, and I'll throw the emperors with their date up there. But anyway, beginning with Julius, there's five Caesars, and then he said one is, Nero is the sixth one. One is, one, the other is not yet come, but when he does come, he must remain a little while. The beast who once was, and now is not, is an eighth king. He belongs to the seventh and is going to his destruction. Now what's going to happen? Nero will go to his downfall. There's going to be three kings, or three people that are at least assumed to be kings, within one year's time. And assassination will wipe them all out. And then Vespasian will come on the scene. And Vespasian will stabilize things in the Roman Empire, and he will really lead the defeat. In other words, uh, Nero never stayed around long enough for the defeat of Rome. Okay? He was on the, Nero was on the throne when they went to war, but then Nero goes to his death. There's three kings, bang, 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 just like that. Then Vespasian comes on the scene. And Vespasian is a strong person who stabilizes things, and his son Titus is the general that actually leads the Roman army in going in and taking over Jerusalem. All right, in fact, Vespasian was so impressive to Josephus that Josephus thought that Vespasian was the Messiah or the Christ that they were looking forward to. In fact, uh, Josephus actually, a uh, very interesting fellow, he, he, he literally died out of uh, goods with the Jews. They looked on him as a turncoat when he went over to Rome. And yet he loved Israel, wrote the history and favored of Israel in his history. Uh, but Josephus went so completely over to Rome that when he saw what was taking place and, and he looked at the power of Rome and he 
saw what Vespasian was doing, he actually thought, and he died, to the best of my knowledge, to the best of recorded history's knowledge, that Vest, uh, Josephus died thinking that Vespasian was the Messiah that had come. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but for one arm will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. In other words, all these other surrounding powers will be under the control of the beast. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them, because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be, will be his called, chosen, faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, the waters you saw were the prostitute sets, or peoples, multitudes, nations, languages. The beasts of the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. So remember now, the prostitute, the woman, the whore, the harlot, as he's called here, has used and actually rode the beast and used the beast to persecute God's people. But now the beast is turned against the harlot. And we point out that this literally parallels what happened there. That the Jews used Rome against the Christians, and the Jews persecuted them, and then Rome, though, wound up turning against Israel, and we have this war that culminates in the destruction of Israel. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire, for God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beasts their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Okay, after this I saw another angel coming down. And he had great authority. Okay, verse 2, we're going to go through here quickly. The latter, just these two chapters of time together. And then we'll come back and get it in more detail next week. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Okay, it says she falls. And then verse 4, I heard another voice say, Come out of her, my people. So that you will not share in her sins, so that you not, will not receive her plagues. For her sins are the power of the heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Remember Jesus again, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I would have gathered you as a hen would gather the chicks, but you would not. Your house is left in you desolate. And then the apostles say, Lord, when is the sign of your coming at the end of the age? When's this going to happen? And he tells them all these things, and he says, when you see it happen, you get out of her. She's going to face the destruction for her sins. And so when you see the armies encompass Jerusalem, as recorded in Luke 21, 20, you get out. If you're up on the housetop, don't even come down. If you're out in the field, don't come into the city. Uh, pray that your flight be not on the Sabbath, against the city would be closed. Pray that the women are not pregnant. This is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, when he was advocating the people not marry. Paul wasn't against marriage. But what Paul said was because of the present distress, 1 Corinthians 7, 26, there was so much persecution going on there, and Christians were going to have to flee for their lives, that it would be easier for them if they were not married. Paul said it that way. Jesus said, pray that you're not pregnant. Pray that your flight be not in the wintertime. Her sins are piled up to heaven. God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she's done. Makes her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torture and grief and glory and luxury she gave as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I said as a queen, I'm not a widow. I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day her plagues will overtake her. Death 
Come on down to verse 10. Woe, woe, great city, O Babylon, city of fire, and one hour your doom has come. In verse 17, in one hour such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Verse 18, when they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city? Notice all the way through. You're not talking about the world. You're talking about a city. And people are actually seeing the smoke of that burning city. All through here, it's been a city, hasn't it? It's been destroyed. They will throw dust on their heads, and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe, O great city, where all who had ships of the sea became rich through her wealth. And one hour she's been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. For the way she treated who? Saints, apostles, and prophets. Again, get right back to what Jesus said in Matthew 23 and 24. With, verse 21, with such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down. And then look at verse 24. In her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who have been killed in the earth. Isn't that what Jesus said? From the blood of righteous Abel to Zechariah, all the righteous blood that's been shed will be required of this generation. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation, glory, and power belong to our God. For true and just are His judgments. Remember in uh, Thessalonians, that after the judgment that they looked forward to and the wrath, He pointed out that true and just are His judgments. She deserves to be judged. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of the saints. So what was she guilty of? Number one, adultery. And number two, the blood of the servants of God. As Peter said, judgment has begun at the house of God. And the Christians are separated from fleshly Israel. Okay, now, after the judgment, notice what takes place in verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen and bright and clean was given for her to wear. So now we have a judgment on the persecutors of the people of God. Then we have a wedding with the bride that's going to take place. Okay, keep that in mind, just what we've depicted here. All of this judgment, and the judgment is on the persecutors who have killed the prophets, the apostles, the Lord. And he's avenged, avenged his people. And then after this judgment, we've got a wedding. So hold your place here. Go back to Matthew 22. And we'll finish with this. And I just want to show how perfectly it's fulfilling what the Lord has already talked about over and over. Matthew 22. Let's see. Verses uh, 1 through 14. The parable of the wedding banquet. Notice how this parallels perfectly what we have over there. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. He sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. They paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. Notice now. 
the rest seized his servants. They mistreated them. They killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. What happens? Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready. But those I invited do not deserve to come. Go to the street corners, invite the banquet, anyone you find. So the servants went out of the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now, what do we have here? Exactly the same thing. Jesus came and John the Baptist preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at. And the nation of Israel, supposedly following the law of Moses, uh, the, as Jesus said, if you believe Moses, you believe me because he wrote of me. And so he comes and he calls, and the majority of Israel refuses him. Not only do they refuse him, but they kill him. And then after they kill him, when the apostles go out, one by one they kill the apostles, they pursue his servants all over the place and take their life. What does it say in the parable in 22? It says the king got enraged, and he passed judgment on them, and he burnt their city, and then what? Then he says, go out into the highways, the byways, and gather everybody you can to come in, and then you have this great wedding. What happened? After the defeat of Israel, and God's wrath was worked on that ungodly place that had rejected their Lord, the culmination of the old covenant, up to that time they've still been offering those animal sacrifices, they've still been saying that we're the people of God, no more animal sacrifices for Israel, no more temple for Israel, no more worship from the law of Moses. God has nailed it and finished the old covenant and the nation of Israel. And then what happens? The Christians, without the persecution of the Jews, go into the world, into the highways and the byways, and they call everybody into the kingdom. And so then he depicts that as the great wedding feast with again the Messiah married the bride, his church. And so the church had its beginning on Pentecost. The kingdom had its starting. It was something that happened here in John. It had its beginning on Pentecost. But God didn't finish revealing the New Testament and dealing with the fleshly nation of Israel until we come to 70 AD or a full generation of Jews, that entire generation, was given the opportunity to hear the gospel. Those that heard the gospel would escape the downfall of fleshly Israel. Those that rejected the gospel would go to their downfall and suffer along with fleshly Israel. And then the church, spiritual Israel, we're going to see the new Jerusalem that comes out out of heaven. The church goes into all the world, and then we have it depicted in terms of the lamb that is married, or the, the bride that takes the bride that takes the husband, the husband being the Lord there. And again, go back and as you, if you're making notes with the 19th chapter, put Matthew 22, 1 through 14, just simply go back and read all those three chapters, and then read that 27. And as you read the whole judgment situation, read 23 and 24 of Matthew, read Luke 21 and Mark 13, and parallel it all the way through there. Anybody with any comments before we finish tonight? Okay, again, we went quickly through that because it's just uh, the section goes together. That's 17th, 18th, and, and 19th chapter. Uh, next week, we'll back up and look in detail at those uh, Caesars. And then what I'd like you to do 
is uh, any of the questions that we skip, any of the passages we skipped over that you'd like to talk about more or make any comments about or anything, uh, you have an opportunity to do that. Then we'll go ahead and proceed, and we probably will be two more weeks and we'll finish up Revelation, okay? About two more weeks and we, we should finish it. Anybody want to make any comments before we finish for tonight?